as we started to kept growing, we realized the third party management allowed me to stay in my, my uh, core genius. It allowed me to stay in what I knew how to do and what I was programmed to do, which is to be a big thinker, find a deal, sell it, enroll it, structure the whole thing with a bow on it, and then give it to someone else to manage for me. Um, and so by going to third party management, that has allowed me to really focus on what, what, what I'm good at, which is, like I said, you know, it was finding deals, finding investors to invest in those deals, and then also educating and uh, doing more stuff with bigger pockets and doing more um, education-based stuff. So it's really, it's really freed me up. You, you would think that it would have held me back and I've got to pay a bunch of fees or whatever. It's freed me up more than anything to go third party. Hello and welcome to Pillars of Wealth Creation, where we talk about creating financial success with a special focus on business and real estate. I'm your host, Todd Dexheimer. Now, Let's get to it. Hey, our sponsor for the show today is Pine Financial Group, the leader in hard money lending in Colorado and Minnesota. And they were recently approved to offer their investment publicly. This investment offers only for investors in Colorado and Minnesota and is only made through their investment prospectus. Get your copy today. Simply visit www.pineinvestments.com and click to get started. Look, there's a reason why some of the wealthiest people in history invest in loans backed by real estate. Learn more about the risks and returns at www.pineinvestments.com. Hey, welcome back to Pillars of Wealth Creation. I'm your host, Todd Dexammer. With me today, I'm excited to have Matt Faircloth. Matt, how are you doing today? I'm great, Todd. Thank you so much for having me here. Yeah, well, I appreciate you being on the show. I'm excited to talk to you about uh, what you got going on. Uh, we do business in uh, the same town as well, so I yeah. uh, got a good connection there. So why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about your background and what you've got going on today? No problem. We can't talk about the town you and I invest in because then more people will find out about it. It's, our, <laughs> it's, it's mine and your best kept secret, so we can't talk about that. Exactly. We, can, we can talk about that. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Um, so I, my company's called the DeRosa Group. Uh, DeRosa is my wife's mother's maiden name. A lot of people ask us where that name comes from. And it's my wife's mother's maiden name. And so it's a little shout out to some family history. And, um, and that my wife and I are both owners of the company, founders of it. I got started in 2005 when I quit my day job um, and started out on some smaller real estate, duplexes, triplexes, stuff like that. And, um, and then just built our way up into larger and larger real estate. Um, and we self-managed all of it. It was all in New Jersey and Pennsylvania. Uh, no more. I even wrote an article for Bigger Pockets at one point in that time of my career that I would never invest in something that was outside of 30 minutes from my office. Hmm. So, uh, and I was very proud of that. Like, it's got to be within 30 minutes. If it's not, if it's inside of 30 minutes, I'll look at it. If it's not, I won't touch it. And, and that was my term for a long time because we managed in-house. We had in-house maintenance, in-house leasing, um, in, in-house everything, uh, in-house auditing, bookkeeping, all of it. And uh, we grew that way, but we realized that we were limited to the market that was inside of 30 minutes of our offices. And, and that was New Jersey and Pennsylvania, which are pretty good markets, really good markets. Um, but we're also limited to our own blind spots in that. So we slowly started to expand. We did it by raising more capital. We were already raising money from third-party investors by doing work in Pennsylvania and New Jersey, um, working with some money partners there and working with our own money. Um, but we've, since we've grown, we've gotten into larger markets like further into central Pennsylvania, like out in the Lancaster area. Uh, we own an apartment building in North Carolina, two in Kentucky, 
Um, we're bidding on some stuff in some other states right now, so it'll soon, perhaps soon to be five states instead of four, uh, which I'm pretty pumped about. If we get this next deal that we're looking at, I'm, I'll be really excited about that. So, um, we're, we're, to bottom line, what our company does is we just direct uh, passive investments into real estate, uh, passive investors into real estate that, that we're involved in, such as apartment complexes and, and until the market's gotten a little squirrely, we did, we directed a lot of money into fix and flips and new construction for sale projects and stuff like that. Um, that that's been that that's a bit of what we're up to. Cool. So you're focusing right now in, in the multifamily. You said when the market got squirrely, explain that to yeah. me. What? Why aren't you doing the the fix and flip and stuff like that? You know, I I, I don't. I mean, who who knows who's right? Honestly, Todd, my my crystal ball is broken. I can't seem to get it fixed. So I don't know what what's next, but I do know that we've been on a really good run on home sales and on in, and on increases of value in real estate, especially homeowner grade real estate. So um, it's not a bubble like it was last time. I was a part of the market run up last time myself. So I saw it. It's not running up anywhere near as fast as it was back then. It's actually more healthy and more stable now. But um, I'm just not willing to take the risk on, on home sale investments right now. And we've done a lot of them. Um, but maybe call it a gut, a gut feel or call it a um, uh, just, you know, maybe done enough of it and want to focus. But for one reason or another, for many reasons, not for one reason or another, but for many reasons, uh, we are not doing projects for sale at this point, which would be a flip or anything like that. Um, and I think above all of it, it's really just focus. Because uh, yeah. it now allows me to just focus on multifamily and growing that side of our business. Um, in that, you know, but what's, what's the shame of that is a lot of investors that show up want to invest in a short-term asset, which could be a flip, which is like, okay, I'll put you into the project for six months, a year, whatever it is, uh, and they can get in and get out. Whereas for multifamily, they're typically tied up for, you know, two to five years at least. Yep. Yep. A lot, lot longer term. They have to be sure. prepared to stay with it. Mm -hmm. Take me through that expansion. I mean, you guys were doing everything 30 minutes from your, from your how or office and didn't want to go out, take me through that process of expansion and how did you get comfortable with being outside? What, who do you use? Uh, that whole sure. process there. I'll take you through the thing. So what we, uh, what we were investing in Philadelphia, I mean, we've, we got a lot of stuff in New Jersey and we were, uh, we were, you know, heavily invested there and we decided to start diversifying and expanding. So we went into Philadelphia. We were able to manage that from my office because it was about 20 minutes from my office um, no big deal. Maintenance, my maintenance guy didn't like having to drive over there, but he was able to do it, you know, fairly easily. So then a opportunity came up in central Pennsylvania and that was two hours from my office. And I said, you know, and this is a 49 unit apartment building. So I looked at it and I said, you know, I probably could maybe start up a satellite office there. And this, that was my, my initial inclination was to open up a second management arm in central Pennsylvania. And I, you know, my wife actually, God bless her, talked me into it. She's like, you know, you need to try having someone else manage these properties for you because I know that, you know, she called me out. She's like, you know, you're good at a lot of things. Um, you're good at teaching. You're good at enrolling. You're good at speaking. You're good at explaining your business to people and that. So you should focus on that. But you're really not that good at property management. So as a company, that you're, you're okay. She's like, I give you guys like a five out of 10 for property management. It's pretty good. Um, for property managers, five out of 10 is pretty good. I think yeah, seven, that is, the seven out of 10 is about as high as a property manager's ever gotten in a ranking I've ever seen in my life. So, yeah. um, right. 
we were sitting in the middle. Okay, we made some mistakes, you know, um, in that. But uh, she was like, you should try having a third-party company manage that property for you, the 49-unit that we were buying. I said, you know what? You're right. And she said, if it doesn't work out, if you don't like what they're doing, then you can always just fire them and start up your own thing like you want to do. And she said, but just do me a favor and try on third-party management. We did. And we loved it. And as we started to kept growing, we realized the third-party management allowed me to stay in my, my uh, core genius. It allowed me to stay in what I knew how to do and what I was programmed to do, which is to be a big thinker, find a deal, sell it, enroll it, structure the whole thing with a bow on it, and then give it to someone else to manage for me. Um, and so by going to third-party management, that has allowed me to really focus on what, what, what I'm good at, which is, like I said, you know, it was finding deals, finding investors and invest in those deals, and then also educating and uh, doing more stuff with bigger pockets and doing more um, education-based stuff. So it's really, it's really freed me up. You, you would think that it would, it would have held me back and I've got to pay a bunch of fees or whatever. It's freed me up more than anything to go third party. Yeah, some, yeah. sometimes that's so true. I mean, I, I was very similar. Um, I don't even think I'd give myself a five on the property management. We did everything in-house. And quite frankly, we still manage stuff in-house that's local um, with our own team. But uh, I still would give myself like a four maybe at the best uh, on the management side. And it just, it made a lot of sense to do exactly what you just said is to hire third party. Sometimes you got to figure out what you're good at and give away that other stuff, even though you think it's going to cost you a little bit of money. It's tough to do. But it's worth it. It's worth it, even if it costs you a little bit more money. And and I was at a I was at the Bigger Pockets conference, and there was a big not to call it a debate, but there was a healthy discussion about whether or not you should manage in house or um, be willing to likely pay more money and give up control and give up some oversight and probably open up the door uh, to get robbed a little bit. You know, I hate to say that, and then awful they we have to admit to that. That, but you are probably going to get you know a few bucks might get taken on it uh, unexpectedly a few dollars here and there, but it's worth take. I decided maybe I'm wrong, but I decided it's worth taking that risk of all those things in exchange for growth and focus on what I really am here to do. And I'm not here on this earth to property manage. Yeah. yeah. So, so you and I, before um, we jumped on here, we were talking about changing property management and we yeah. don't need dig into the details exactly of that. But why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about, you know, how do you make, uh, first of all, how do you decide on property management company? And then when and how do you make that transition to a different property management company? If the one that you hired originally isn't maybe working. Yeah, it's never, it's never easy to let go of a property manager. I, I, I think that we've done it the wrong way um, in selecting a property manager. And so I'll give some advice on, um, on, on how to pick the right property manager. First of all, don't just pick a property manager because they're who's managing the property now. Um, and that's what we did at, at, uh, at another site where they were doing what we thought to be a pretty good job. And they already had set up a lot of their operations there. They were running their regional office for the city that we were in out of a storefront in my building. I'm like, cool, how great is that? that they're right here, you know, they're right here in this building and all their regional resources and all their people and whatnot are right here. That, I mean, we thought that was a good thing, but you know, what's funny is when you call that office and tell them you want to rent a two bedroom, they start telling you about everything else they got in that region, except for the building they're sitting in right there, you know? And so we would, we would secret shop them and say, Hey, I'm looking for a two bedroom. 
and they would start telling you about other stuff. And I'm like, well, what about like right there where you are? What about that building? What about that one? Like, oh yeah, yeah, this one too. But it just wasn't the first on their mind. The entire portfolio was first on their mind, but not the building they were in. Um, if that makes sense. So, no, so yeah. number one, don't pick a property manager just because that's who's managing it now. I, I would definitely interview. Um, we uh, made the mistake of also hiring a property manager that was not present in the town that we were in. They were present in the state that we were in, but they didn't have other assets that they managed in that city. That was This was the only asset they had in the city. It was actually fairly remote for them. Um, they were trying to build a presence. They came highly recommended. They're a large organization, like 20, 30,000 units under management. So big, big time. Um, but they didn't have anything else in town. And so the, the way that showed up was oversight. The regional was never there. The regional never popped through the property, um, to do, to carry on oversight of the, of that, uh, that property. And also like if somebody called in sick or if they had a problem, whatever, they couldn't just you know, borrow somebody from another site to come and support or to band-aid or just to, you know, to support one site from another at, at all. Everything else was really far away. So those are two probably mistakes that we made. And we've since remedied that both um, with both new PMs. Um, what you should do is ask for their, ask to see their monthly reports, um, speak to whoever's doing their accounting, um, to make sure you agree with their accounting philosophy. Uh, so whoever's doing your bookkeeping, because really property management is so big on, the success in property management is on bookkeeping, accounting, running the numbers properly and stuff like that. So uh, I would speak to who's doing that directly, talk to them um, and make sure that you're in line with them. Um, that's it. Those are some tips, some tips, uh, a lot of which we've broken and I've learned the hard way about not doing what I just said, uh, what, what the repercussions of not doing what I just said can lead you to. When, when do you make that decision that, all right, we've made a, maybe a, the bad, a bad choice or just whatever it's, it's the, somehow the dynamics not working. When do you make that choice and, you know, shift? Yeah. Well, I think that, uh, you know, when we buy a building, you got to develop a business plan that says like, okay, we're going to be at this point by this, we're going to have this many units renovated and we're going to carry forward the renovation and the re and, and the rebuilding of this property by this schedule. And then if the property manager is not able to, if they're not on point with that, with that business plan, if they're not able to implement and keep up, um, we did that. We did this recently. We gave them one warning. It's okay. Um, you're not abiding my business plan. Things are not going the way that we thought they should go. And so we're going to be, and, and so we're going to give you guys notice to cure. <laughs> and they came back, that particular PM came back with a cure plan on what they were going to do to turn around. And then they weren't able to turn it around and then more of the wheels started coming off. That was just justification fire. So I would say keep a hold them to the business plan and then give them one warning. And then if they, if those two things don't, if they're not able to do either, if they don't cure it after those two, then that's good enough to, to let them know. Yeah. It, it's, it's always hard to fire somebody, whether it's a property management company or, or an employee in house. Anybody. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I don't get any better at it, quite frankly. I've never gotten any better at it. I've always, it's been a struggle always for me to fire somebody uh, because I, it's, just, it's just hard. And, but one thing I've got to keep on in mind is you've got to do it probably sooner. You have to rip the bandit off. Like yeah. I, I always take too long. 
you half rope the bandit up and just say, we're done. Hire slowly, fire, short fire quickly, right? Yeah. Um, it's funny, Todd. I was talking to a, a business owner that you and I both know, not in the real estate um, in, you know, investment space directly, but runs another organization you and I both have been a part of. Um, and he told me that he's like, you know, I've never fired anybody. I've just made, like, I've just like, you know, grumbled and, and made their life, you know, working for me really not that good to the point where they end up quitting, you know? Yeah. Um, and that, and he, he hates that part of himself. And he said, I don't like, I don't like it. I don't like that part of me, but it's just, it's, it's really hard for me emotionally to fire people. I get it. It's, it's one of the hardest things I've ever had to do is to fire people. And I've had to do it a lot, not a lot, but you know, I mean, maybe half dozen, dozen times in my career. Um, and it never gets any easier. And, and I get why his his person's philosophy is the way that it is. Um, because it's much easier to just, ah, maybe we'll turn it around. Maybe this will change. But I think that what you got to realize is these people are just, whether it's a, for an individual anyway, and I'm talking about people, those people are probably not performing at their job simply because they're just the wrong butt in the wrong seat. Yeah. And if you fire them, what you're really doing is you're really freeing them up to go and find the right application for their skills. And to, you're, you're giving them the privilege to go and find the right thing for them to do. Um, and clearly the thing that they're doing for you is not the right thing for them to do. Um, that's the right way to look at it uh, in, in hindsight. And then I look at the people that have fired and they ended up landing better than they ever would have working for my company. Um, Cause they found a thing that was better than what I could give them. Yeah. With, with contractors has probably been a big challenge of mine is yeah. because I'm going well. If, man, if I fire this this guy, uh, you know, it's going to delay my project. So I uh, I don't want to fire them. Uh, I'll wait till I find the right fit to replace well, them. Well, yeah, it's the worst. Never. He owes me money, or I've I've paid him more than the work he's done, and I can't oh. fire him now. I have to let him get caught up with me. So I've got to. Just doesn't happen. Harass him for three weeks to come back and paint the one wall that he was supposed to paint, so that I can fire him. Like. It's so short-sighted. You don't realize that for the couple of grand that he's ahead of you or more or whatever it is, um, yeah. you're really losing the, the one valuable asset, which is time. You yeah. Know? Yeah. I, I'm, I'm glad you just brought up that example. Cause that's, that's so true. And it happens. And, and just, we just got to sometimes. I've done it too. I'm, I'm speaking like that. Cause I've done it. That's, <laughs> that's, I'm speaking from to myself about myself. So. Hey, let's take a minute to thank our sponsor, Pine Financial Group. Look, you work hard for your money. Is your money working hard for you? Because of inflation, money sitting idle erodes your wealth. Many investors understand that real estate is a great investment, but may not want the effort or the risk that comes with owning their own property. They want to sit back and have payments, hit their bank account each and every month. Stop eroding your wealth and start building by asking your money to work for you. You should be earning profits while you sleep in investment backed by real estate. Pine Financial Group, the leader in hard money lending in Colorado and Minnesota, was recently approved to offer their investment publicly. This investment offers only for investors in Colorado and Minnesota and is only made through the investment prospectus. Get your copy today. Simply visit www.pineinvestments.com and click to get started. There's a reason why some of the wealthiest people in history invest in loans backed by real estate. Learn more about the risks and returns at www.pineinvestments.com. It's www.pineinvestments.com.
So let's talk about uh, let's talk about the business side of things. We've kind of talked about the management and firing people and, and that. But what's some advice that you'd give our listeners about operating their business successfully? Sure. Well, okay. I think that you got to have a long term plan in place. Um, that it's not about like, okay, I'm going to go buy one apartment building and then see how I like it and decide if I want to keep doing this. Um, apartment buildings are marriages, each one of them, you know, and you got to make sure that you're willing to stay in uh, and that you really, really want the long term of this business. And that. So I think that you know, from, from a business planning perspective, it's about like thinking about the resources you have in place to get you from cradle to cradle, cradle to grave of buying a property, finishing it up, renovating it, getting it cash flowing, and then and then longer term selling it or you know uh, exiting from the deal, um, and and thinking about all the steps in the process. It's also about making sure you got people in your team that are able to carry on different skill sets. Like I said, I'm not. I'm a good explainer, a good salesperson, a good enroller, a good overall macroscopic leader for a company. Um, but I'm not a good in the in the dirt nitty gritty guy, and I'm also not a good hammer of like going to run around and knocking people on the head. So. Um, you gotta have people on your team that are willing to do uh, the all the other tasks uh, that, that you're not willing to do yourself. So have the implementer. Um, the Colby K O L B E is a really great test for taking to determine who's good at what. So one of those assessments takes you 20 minutes. We took we took that on my team and realized we got some gaps that we're working on filling now. Yeah, that's good. Um, what's a big mistake that you've made, and how did you learn from it? Uh, which one you want? <laughs> um, I think the, the recurring mistake that I've made, Todd, is that I, I probably would say I focus on too many different things. Um, oh, yeah. And I'm in the middle of, of cleaning a lot of that up. I haven't taken on any new projects in a really long time because I'm in the middle of just unwinding stuff I've got going on. I've got trouble fixing flips. I've got some apartment buildings. You know, I've got uh, some small rentals, some large rentals. Um, and at the end of the day, um, the mis- I, if there's a mistake there, it was lack of focus. Um, about just picking a horse and just doing a lot of that. And whether that horse is single family homes or apartment complexes or flips or wholesales or whatever, just keep doing that thing over and over and over again and, until it stops working. Um, and that's one thing I didn't do. And I'll call that, a, I'll call that the mistake. Um, and that's because I'm good at a lot of different facets of real estate, meaning like I've done a lot of them. I know how a lot of real estate, um, different activities work. I know how to do them. And so I find myself doing them, you know, like, oh, yeah, I, I can do a flip or I know how to do a wholesale deal or I know how to find an apartment complex or whatever. But I think the mistake was in not just picking a lane that I really like or that I know is going to serve my long-term goals and just doing that over and over and over again. But I've committed to that now. I can say that it's a mistake because I'm not doing it anymore now. Now I've just got to unwind or just finish out the stuff I have going on so I can focus. Yeah. And, and that goes with that goes with what you said about the long-term plan in place. You know, having that long-term yep. plan in place is going to allow yep. you to actually be able to focus on what you think is important. And I've yep. done the exact same with you. I think most entrepreneurs, we get that shiny object, you know, like, oh, I yeah. can do a fix and flip. Like I've done a bunch of them. I can do one. I just saw somebody sent me an email literally yesterday and said, hey, I saw uh, or heard you on something. It was some bigger pockets and, and it's like, oh, I, you know, you do flips. I got this flip for you. Um, yeah. And I'm just like, I, I, I was tempted to respond back. You're like, oh, ooh. 
Yeah. So I want yeah. to check that out. I don't know. Yeah. It, honestly, I was so tempted to go check it out. And then finally, I'm like, you know what? That doesn't serve what I want to do. It's just, like, I haven't done a flip in several years and that doesn't serve what I'm trying to achieve. So yeah. you know, back said, thanks for uh, thinking of me, but that's not my focus right now. <laughs> and, but it's so it easy. Lot, it takes a lot of courage to say no. Yeah. It's more yeah. courage to say no than it is to say yes, I think. I, it definitely, definitely. Um, take us through um, kind of your goals moving forward. Where, where is that vision going? We talked a little bit about your change in focus. So take us through kind of where your vision is. Well, my, my vision now is about building a team of A-plus people that are great at things that I'm not great at and that they can help me build, you know, just a multifamily space. I think we want to just stay in the multifamily world, uh, but doing the right multifamily deals and we're willing to wait. Like I'm, I'm, we're not a fee machine where we just live off of fees and everything like that. We're just not, we, it's not that we need a deal every three months to survive like other folks that are out there. Where we're going to force a square peg into a round hole. Um, you know, we'll, we'll do deals that make sense and we're willing to wait for those deals to show up and, and we're willing to kick doors in to get to them. Um, but we're also going to say no to deals that don't make sense. And so just multifamily deals, um, we're going to continue to offer, um, to the market things that I've learned about in real estate. And if people want to get educated on that, I'm going to continue to offer those kinds of things through bigger pockets, perhaps another book coming out soon. Um, you know, uh, maybe some other education outlets for people to just take an online course. I'm not trying to be a guru. I just want to help people get where they want to go. Um, and that's, so I want to do that and then just do more multifamily. Um, and, and you just kind of peel back everything else out. That's on my plate right now. Uh, you mentioned the right deal. Um, and I think that's important. Obviously you're not just getting these fees as you mentioned, yeah. some people are doing, yeah. which is a little scary. Uh, but what is, what is I saw you make a face about that? Cause you know what I'm talking about. I know yeah. exactly what you're talking about. There's there's unfortunately there's people doing that and you know, it, uh, it's not, there's nothing, there's nothing, okay. There's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that, but that is, uh, I think that if your primary profit source as a syndicator is just the fees that you make on the deal, then subconsciously it might force you to make a deal work so that you can get the fees. If that is your primary source of income. Yeah. Now, I promise we take, you know, fees on our deals. And I don't do that. Um, but I've also got a lot of, there's, there's like nine people that work with my company that we're, that we're taking care of with that. We all get equity too. We split all that up. Um, so we're, I think that we've earned the fees that we get, but that's not the primary source of our income. Yeah, you know, we, we take a, we take a what I think to be a fair carve out and split and stuff like that. So, well, you're um, not you're not forcing a deal to get take. the fees. Yeah, and I'm, I mean, like I can be careful. I'm not saying everybody else is doing that, no. but when I see somebody making a ninety ten split, um, and and like you know nine ninety ten split plus a three percent acquisition fee, um, you know, well, let's just say we we know where that's where the where the um, where the real profit for the syndicator is if they're making ten percent. Um, but then they're getting a three hundred thousand dollar fee. Oh, okay, you know, I I, I get it. You know, I, I I see where it's coming from. So um, I I would just be cautious of that as as the market tends to change wherever it's changing. Um, be cautious of syndicators that aren't incentivized to stay into the long, stay in for the long haul like that. We are. Um, this, that's what we want to see, and I think you'll see more of that. Is honestly. Uh, maybe even more ownership for us and, and, um, and just even more fair equity for us. Cause that entitles it, that keeps us in the deal for even longer and keeps us engaged on a longer term, maybe less fees 
more longer term ownership. It's turned Matt, around the other way. Matt, you said your crystal ball is broken. No, uh, I can't get it fixed. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Where, what are your, what's your philosophy on, on where you're going with your business in terms of the market? Obviously, as you said, you don't know, but what's your approach then right now? How are you handling kind of this market, being cautious with your investors' money, but continuing to try to grow? Sure. We're investing in markets that make sense um, now, where deals make sense today, where it's not, okay, we're going to buy in. And we're going to hope this property doubles in value or hope that, that, you know, more and more people continue to move there, which is why um, I'm not trying to knock any other people, but you're not going to see me in a lot of the top tier markets in the U S because those top tier markets in the U S I think have gotten bought up so much by others that are trying to get into the space that it's just hard to find, you know, deals in those markets, number one, but number two, um, the deals that are there, um, are, you know, they're really going to start making, they're going to make money only if the market goes up another 10, 20% a year, right? Yeah. Um, which that's not really our, our, hope, our, our thought that it's good. I can't bet on that. I can't bet my, my investors capital on that. Um, so given where we may be with regards to, you know, we're, we're, we're looking, we're in the seventh inning or we're looking down the barrel of a recession or whatever. I don't know. I know a lot of people on Facebook talk about that. Or a lot of people on Social media talking about how they see a recession and the yield curve inversion and this and that and everything like that. Still, because it's cool know. to talk about. Sure is, sure is cool to talk about things we can't predict, you know, and then we don't know if it's going to happen or not, you know. Um, but um, I just, it just caused me to be, I feel a little bit of uncertainty right now with regards to the market, and that has caused me to be just probably overly conservative. So I invest in markets that I think are going to stay stable, even if they don't go up much, they're going to. You know, uh, I'll take flatline 3% rank growth. I'll take a, a, right now, I'll give you an example. I'll take a 3% rank growth over a 10% rank growth all day long. Right? You know, we obviously have very similar uh, philosophies because we're in the same markets. Because I could probably (laughs) walk from one of my properties to one of yours, right? (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Uh, But yeah, I mean, that's exactly where I'm at with that. Um, All right. So a couple more questions before we wrap up. What's a favorite book? Not your own. What's a favorite book, no. uh, real estate or business related? Um, I've got a few. Uh, I, you know, I, Rich Dad Poor Dad gets quoted out so many times, I'm sure, on your show and, and, uh, and others and stuff like that. It, it did change my life. But um, the, uh, the, there's, there's a good business-related book that I would recommend is Traction. That's a great mm-hmm. book. Um, and Traction was written um, about – it was written really for, small, for mid-sized companies – but if you are a small to a single person company traction, it's still a good book to read because it teaches you about how to build the structures that a larger business has um, without like driving yourself nuts. So I, I, I love traction and we're, my company is a smaller company, but still we were able to implement a lot of what was in it to help us think forward to what we're building long-term. Cool. Cool. Uh, and then what, what's your book? Cause you got a book. To raising, it's called raising private capital. Um, you know, in a nutshell, it's just, it's a testament to where everyone knows people with money. They just do. If you don't, if you don't know no one with money, then you need to network. Um, and that's, and, 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 and so my, my book is really about how to look into your own network of people and to find people that want to invest with you, uh, to be a part of what you do, to give you, to, to invest their retirement account or their capital or whatever. The raising private capital show gives you the tools the resources, the wherewithal, the conversations, the elevator pitches, 
where to look, where not to look, all that stuff uh, to finding capital, finding either loans or equity at a Euro network to help you build your business. And where can people find it? What's that? Where can people find it? Oh, sure. Uh, so it's on biggerpockets.com. You can buy it there. Uh, I would recommend people buy it on, on big, it's like, a, like $5 more on BP uh, than it is on Amazon. But, um, but on BP, there's a ton of extras, like, you know, extra interviews. There's another book that I wrote on buying apartment buildings. It's in there. Um, and there's a workbook and stuff like that. And you can buy it on Amazon for cheaper too, if that's where you want to go. You have a, you know, pro account, do you want to, or a, um, you know, uh, Amazon prime account that you want to leverage, uh, you can buy it on Amazon as well. Either, either way is fine. Awesome. Last question for you before we wrap up. Uh, what are your three pillars of wealth creation? That's a great question. I've been thinking about this, um, you know, and been hearing about this on your show. Uh, so I, my three pillars of wealth creation, I, I would call the ways of being that I choose to have around myself and my life that I think have manifested more wealth for me. So I think that the first wealth pillar of wealth creation is I, I'd call it stretch. So that means me being willing to stretch myself a little bit beyond my level of comfort and feeling just a little teeny bit of fear about where I'm going. Not like, you know, life and my life is in danger fear, but a little fear of being uncertain that stretch has caused me to grow and it's caused me to create a lot of new wealth in my life by being just slightly uncomfortable with where I'm going. Um, and a little afraid of what's in front of me because there's a little bit of unknown. Um, so let's call that stretch. Number two is positivity. Um, and I think that that way of being uh, in my life has caused me that when times have gotten tough to know that if I have enough faith and enough push forward and enough positive energy about things and enough focus on the positive and unwillingness to quit, then I will, um, I will get through it. And then I've had bad, bad stuff happen. Um, but the sun came up the next day and then I worked through it and then the sun came up again and I tried to work through it again and things got better and better and better after the turmoil. And I found through positivity, I was able to work my, my way through it. And the third pillar, the third pillar of association, I would say is association. Um, and that's by simply associating me myself with people that are of prosperous mindsets um, they say you're the average of the five people you hang out with. Uh, it's true. And that's association. So if you're hanging out with people that are prosperous and they're thinking big money and they're thinking wealth, um, you'll continue. I will continue to get more of that. If I'm hanging out with people that just want to drink a six pack every night and, you know, put most of their energy into their local sports team, then, uh, and, and, and else into things they can't control, then they're going to get a life that they can't control. Um, and that. So I think that it's a matter of just associating who you associate yourself with. So those are my three pillars. Awesome. Love them. And our listeners have been hanging out with you and I for the last uh, half an hour. So they're, you know, surrounding themselves with hopefully people that they, uh, association, right. It's association. Yeah. That's, that's the beauty of listening to podcasts, reading books, and you're associating with the right people as, as long as you're, um, reading and listening to the right podcasts, of course, and books, but, um, Awesome. Well, good, good stuff. I really appreciate it. A lot of great stuff here. I'm sure we could keep on talking for the next couple hours, but uh, we are wrapping up. So I want to just last thing get from you is where can our listeners reach out to you? Sure. Go to my website, derosagroup.com, D-E-R-O-S-A group.com, derosagroup.com. And you can, you actually can click over to buy my book there, which will just take you to the bigger pockets page. Um, and, uh, you can check out my YouTube page from there. You can check out my wife's podcast for women. So after, after they're done listening to your podcast, 
they can go and listen to my wife's podcast called the Real Estate Invest Her Show. Uh, there's a link there on the website as well. And if people want to hear more about what kind of deals we're doing or subscribe to our newsletter, they can do all that on our website at derosagroup.com. How is the dynamic working with your spouse? Man, that's a whole other show. Can we do that in another show? But yeah, yeah. it's, it's, it's <laughs> I mean, in general, it is really having a lot of trust and deeper relationship with your partner and perhaps being willing to knock heads a little more than you would if you weren't working together. Um, but there is no better way to get an absolute true cheerleader in your pocket that believes in you and, and thinks you're awesome and um, create a better, just a, a overall global alignment for where we're going together in life than to work with your spouse. So I'm a huge fan of it. I just think that it takes a lot of courage and a lot of strength to do it. Yeah. My, my wife and I have been talking about it and kind of exploring that option and um, setting up lunches and stuff to see if it works and we'll see where, where we take it, but we've just the been exploring it a lot you, lately. I'll, I'll give you this bit of advice, my friend. Neither one of y'all is the boss. Yeah. Okay. You're not in charge of her. She's not in charge of you. Uh, my wife and I, when we had that epiphany that we weren't there to hold each other accountable, we were there to support each other. Um, uh, that was when we really had a big shift and a lot better health in our marriage. And it, it didn't turn in. It, it, it just, it caused strain in our marriage when we found that each other was holding each other accountable what we were supposed to be doing. Well, you're supposed to this. You're supposed to that. And why haven't you done this yet? It wasn't, that was the wrong way to look at it. The better way to look at it was how can I help you? How can I support you? What do you need? Anticipating needs and just looking out for each other. And also having different silos, of the, having areas of the business that you work in that doesn't involve the spouse. Um, so you're not like completely attached to the hip that are doing everything. Uh, good, good stuff. Good stuff. Well, Matt, again, I, <laughs> and we could do a whole podcast, like you said on that. It but, is. I will. I'll bring her on. We'll do it together with you. Uh, that'd be, that'd be actually really, uh, really good. Really entertaining. And my wife probably should be a part of that as well. Cause like I said, awesome. we, we've been talking about it. So, um, well again, appreciate it. Thanks a lot for uh, being on the show and you have a fantastic rest of the day. You too, Todd. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, special thanks to Matt Faircloth. Appreciate him joining us on the show, spending time with us and giving us a ton of value. And I challenge you to take at least one thing out of this episode and apply it to your business, to apply it to your life this week and make it a habit. Make sure you apply it for every single day of this week and, and really focus on it. So Three things I took from this episode among the many others is, first of all, he talks about getting uncomfortable, stretching. Make sure you're getting uncomfortable doing things that are going to get you past that zone. Uh, we all, I think, are easily want to be comfortable. It's just easy. It's, it's convenient. Uh, but get beyond that. Next thing he talks about is, is positivity, have, having positivity and, and uh, you know, putting that in your daily life, being thankful, grateful, uh, and being positive, And that's going to definitely make a, a good impact. And the last thing is association. He talks about surrounding yourself with people who want to get to where you want to get to, people already there, uh, people that are being positive, people that are getting uncomfortable, all that kind of stuff. So make sure you're surrounding yourself with the right people. Again, thanks a lot to Matt Faircloth for joining us. I appreciate him and I appreciate you. Uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for subscribing. If you're subscribed, uh, if you're not, well, we'd love to have you subscribed. If you haven't given us a rating review, we'd love that as well. So um, do that and I will catch you. Hey, thanks for listening to the show. A couple things before we go again, 
go on to our Facebook page, Pillars of Wealth. We'd love to have you on there. Go on to iTunes, give us a rating and review, and subscribe to the show. Also, um, you know, don't forget, reach out to me if you want any help with uh, potentially growing your business, and reach out to John Styles to help you buy or sell real estate. Thanks for listening. We appreciate it. Have a fantastic the rest of the day, and as I say, make every day a Saturday. <laughs>